Ten days ago, I was sitting in a coffee shop in Wilmington, Delaware with my son-in-law when I received an email from Pastor Wes asking me if I would preach today. Now, normally, Wes usually gives me at least a month or more advance notice, which I like. That makes for leisurely, non-anxious sermon making. But of course, he didn't know he was going to get pneumonia. So I got home from our Thanksgiving trip on Sunday evening, basically having a week to get prepared. Actually felt like a real pastor this week. It was like deja vu all over again, as Yogi would say. So for me, this past week has been all, been all about preparation, about getting ready. Which fits in well, because getting ready is what a lot of people seem to be about these days. Yes, Christmas is coming. And that means preparation. You know, as well as I do, that long to-do list can be stressful. But my anxieties about having to preach on what is, for me, relatively short notice, pale in comparison to the anxieties and stress that a lot of people are experiencing these days as they are doing their best to cope with the cultural tsunami that is Christmas in America. I, uh, I, I'm not kidding when I tell you this. My son-in-law were driving home that day from the coffee shop, and the radio was on NPR, and they were hyping a program titled How to Survive Christmas. Ironic as it sounds, celebrating the birth of this one we call the Prince of Peace has become for many people something of a chaotic out-of-control anxiety attack. I believe that a lot of the stressfulness of this season is due to what I would call misdirected preparation. Not because people make too much of Christmas, but because they make too little of it. I think it's very easy to boil Christmas down to a warm and alluring story of a special baby born in a manger. But the fact is, this baby is really special. There are far-ranging cosmic implications to what happened in that little town of Bethlehem. And I'm convinced that a lot of people fail to appreciate and who engage with this much larger story of which Christmas is the wonderful starting point. The long-standing antidote for this in the church has been this season we call Advent. Advent is meant to be a time of preparation, of, of getting ready, so that Christmas can be embraced and observed as it is intended to be. But of course, that doesn't happen automatically. It is the result of willfully 
submitting ourselves to the rhythms of the season and listening carefully to the voices that herald the good news of this holiday. In short, it happens by being adequately prepared to welcome Emmanuel, God with us, into our world and into our lives. Fittingly, the lectionary text for the second Sunday of Advent here in Matthew's Gospel is all about God sending a voice to get people ready. Get them prepared for the greatest thing that has ever happened in human history. It's a story worth considering as we prepare ourselves for the birth of the Savior. Our text begins simply with the words, In those days. Interestingly, Matthew finishes telling us about the birth and infancy of Jesus in chapter 2, and then immediately turns in chapter 3 to the public preparation for Jesus' earthly ministry. Remember that chapters and verse numbers are a relatively modern addition to the Bible. So in his gospel, Matthew writes the words, He shall be called a Nazarene. And then with no warning, fast-forwards more than 25 years into the future to in those days. In such an abrupt manner, Matthew moves from the nativity and infancy of the Christ child to the story of this weird dude named John. John the Baptist, I think, remains the only person remotely associated with the Christmas story who has never been on a Christmas card. (laughs) Evidently, Merry Christmas, you brood of vipers, doesn't resonate with the good people of Hallmark. But however you look at it, this, this man John is one of the most unforgettable characters in the Bible. From the profile we're given here, I I typically picture John as looking like something of a cross between an Old Testament prophet and a hell's angel biker. There's no doubt about it. He, He was not your average preacher. But then his message was anything but ordinary. You may recall that between Malachi, the final book of the Old Testament, And the coming of John the Baptist, there had literally been about 400 years of silence from God. But that silence is shattered by this strange-looking guy parading around in the desert claiming to be God's voice. Now, it's easy to sort of dismiss John as the kind of kook that you would see going viral on YouTube or showing up on the front page of one of those supermarket tabloids, but even though he's unconventional, he he is no eccentric kook. He's absolutely for real. He embodies the prophecy of Isaiah as a voice crying out in the wilderness. And his message 
is absolutely critical if Israel is going to get ready for the coming of God. So John comes preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn your lives around. The kingdom is coming. One commentator suggested that the English word repent was one of the most unfortunate translation gaffes of the entire Bible. The Greek word metanoia literally means to change your mind. and So in secular Greek, repent means a mental change of mind or an emotional kind of regret. But biblically, repentance means to change the entire direction of one's life. As F.D. Bruner put it, repentance means the radical recognition of God. John is saying, people, the, the great visit is coming. You need to get ready to greet the visitor. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's why things have to change. There is virtually no way to overstate this. This is not some... A new addition to the religious customs of the day. This is not some mere innovation to the Old Testament law. As Frederick Bruner says, what happens when God comes is not going to be grape shot, it's going to be nuclear. An explosion. A total reshaping of the earth. That's why repentance, a wholesale reorientation of how we think about everything, is called for here. And John's hearers are not being urged to repent so that the kingdom can come. No, the kingdom is coming, whether or not they're prepared. In that respect, John the Baptist is is something of a first century Paul Revere shouting, the kingdom is coming. I find it quite interesting that when God decided to get the world's attention for the coming of his son into public ministry, he didn't hire a band. He didn't buy any advertising. What he used was a voice. A solitary voice. All God did was to send a solitary man in the wilderness of Judea with a very simple message. God is coming. You'd better get ready. This kingdom that John says is near, the kingdom that Jesus will embody and proclaim, will be so radically different from what the average religious person expects, that unless they repent, unless they are totally transformed in their minds and their lives, they will not even recognize it. And so, with the language of Isaiah identifying himself as the messenger, the voice, John calls Israel to get ready for the coming of the kingdom. This happens by undergoing a baptism of repentance. Baptism. 
This was unheard of in Israel. Jews being baptized? The rabbis used baptism to induct proselytes, Gentile converts, but never Jews. Jews were children of God by birth. They were the ultimate insiders. Jews don't get baptized. But John says, God is going to do a completely new thing. None of the old ways suffice. A new kingdom is coming where everything is going to be different. All the stuff that mattered in the past doesn't count in this kingdom that is coming. So get washed. This really was revolutionary talk. And as you know, such talk is bound to attract the attention of others. And it does. One day, the religious mucky-mucks from Jerusalem show up to check John out. Who does this guy think he is telling Jews to get baptized? We'll set him straight. They've come to judge John, but John quickly turns the table on them and, and lets them know that they are in grave danger of judgment themselves because of the hardness of their hearts. They fancy themselves to be the spiritual leaders of Israel, and yet they are totally unprepared for what is about to happen in the person of Jesus Christ. Of all the people who miss Jesus, none will miss him so completely as do the religious leaders of Israel. John says that the coming of God's reign demands genuine repentance, which is evidenced by fruit. Religious pedigree counts for nothing. Mere descent from Abraham is not enough. God is going to turn the religious prejudices of Israel upside down. Jesus will come and offer his kingdom to people everywhere, not just those who can claim that they are blood kin of Abraham. Jesus will bring tax collectors, prostitutes, Roman soldiers, anyone who will believe into his kingdom. Your entrance into the kingdom will have nothing to do with your relatives or your bloodlines. It will have everything to do with your willingness to allow God to completely change the way you think. John ends this passage by explaining his own part in this drama. His baptism is wholly purposed to prepare people to recognize and accept the one who is coming. The one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The very nature of Jesus as the Messiah will be one whose life and teachings will separate, radically separate, those who simply want to play at religion from those who have truly repented and entered into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus will be the farmer separating the wheat from the chaff. The message of the kingdom will be like a farmer using a winnowing fork who throws both 
grain and chaff into the air, and the, the wind will blow the chaff aside while the grain will fall to be safely gathered from the ground. The message of the kingdom which Jesus will bring will have the effect of separating the real believers from the religious pretenders. And so for John, the message is clear. Get ready. Just this week, I saw this on one of my Australian friends' Facebook page. He said, I don't think we'll really understand Advent until we understand it as preparation for a revolution. It is our failure to adequately appreciate just how revolutionary Christmas really is that truncates and minimalizes this holy day and turns it into little more than one more cultural excuse to party. I recognize today that I speak to people of varying circumstances and life challenges. Uh, I suspect some of you are so stressed out over the end of a semester that you maybe haven't even thought of Christmas. Others of you may have been caught up in the merchandising whirlwind, and still others are just hoping to find some oasis of peace and quiet in these stressful days. If I may, like that voice in the wilderness so long ago, let me simply urge you to prepare for his coming, to get ready. Yes, repent in the biblical sense of that word. It's easy to say. It's hard to do. And in our instant everything culture, we, we too easily convince ourselves that, that we can get ready by carving out a few minutes for God, by showing up at the Christmas Eve service or singing some Christmas carols. But that will never suffice in the gale force winds of Christmas in America. The degree of preparation of which John speaks here far exceeds any one-off stab at microwave spirituality. Years ago when I was pastor here, I, it was the middle to late part of the month of April. I get a phone call from a Houghton College student. He introduces himself to me, and then he asks me this. Do you believe in demon possession? I said, yes, I think I do. And then he said this. Could you cast out the demon of procrastination? Uh, I see, late April. Okay, let's put those dots together. Getting prepared is a whole lot more than just cramming for all it's worth at the last minute. Trying to will yourself into the spirit of Christmas by throwing yourself full force into the cultural practices that are uh, so evident at this season of the year is likely to fall short. The church says, wait a minute, not so fast. This takes time. Just as the people of John's day needed to get ready for Christ's coming, 
so do all of us. We need to take time to repent, to change the way we think about life, about values, about others. We need to completely reorient ourselves so that we are prepared to properly welcome this king whose kingdom is unlike any other kingdom ever on this earth. Text in those days. In those days before Jesus first appeared in public, God sent John as his voice trying to get people ready to receive their king. Now in these days... God sends ordinary preachers like me and thousands of others crying out, not so much in the wilderness, but as in the shadows of the discount stores and the shopping malls, calling people to hit pause on the frantic seasonal rush so that they can truly see what the fuss about Christmas really is. After driving home last Sunday from Delaware, I sat down at my computer last Sunday evening to start working on this sermon. I checked my records and I found that I had preached this text here many years ago. Given that I only had a few days to get ready, I momentarily considered just preaching that same sermon again. I figured that now that Esther Smith was in heaven, I could probably get away with it. <laughs> Esther always noted in her Bible the sermon text and the date, and I knew I would be busted big time. But uh, I already had an idea of what I wanted to do, so I, I set aside the repeat. But I... I did read through it, and I was struck by the fact that there were a lot of similarities between that sermon and what I'm saying to you today. Because, you know, truth be told, uh, there's not a lot of changes in getting ready. It's still mostly about solitary voices calling out, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So would you understand what I'm saying today if I told you that my Christmas voice for all of you is that you will start hearing voices? It's interesting to me that in a season that is represented and symbolized mostly by light, that it is the voice of one crying in the wilderness that signals the onset of a new age. Are you hearing any voices? Last week in Delaware, I received an email with this heading, Tis the season for holiday savings. Now, anyone who knows me knows that I value emails like that right up there with paper cuts and indigestion. But it was worse. I, I could understand it if it was from L.L. Bean or J.C. Penney or even Amazon. But this was from General Electric trying to sell me parts for my refrigerator. 
evidently, getting prepared for Christmas involves the water filters in your fridge. Who knew? Perhaps you're familiar with the phrase mission creep. How about Christmas creep? Where where the point of, of the holiday broadens out to include any attempts to get consumers to buy something, including filters for the fridge. Now, here in the midst of my annual rant about merchandising the sacred, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I love the fact that there is something about the Christmas season that unlocks the generosity of people. That's a wonderful thing, and I wouldn't have it any other way. But seriously now, the holiday season is supposed to move me to buy appliance parts. But here's the thing. Unless I get myself prepared to embrace and celebrate this holy season in the right way, I will have little or no capacity to ward off the siren calls of Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all the rest of those in-your-face strategies aimed at trying to get me to substitute stuff I buy for God's free gift. And so here I am, standing in a pulpit, doing what I've been doing for the last 40-plus advents. I'm doing my best Isaiah and John the Baptist imitation. I'm not crying out in the wilderness, all those jokes about Houghton's location notwithstanding. (laughs) I'm not wearing camel's hair, and I wouldn't eat a locust if it was wrapped in bacon. But but I'm, I'm telling people that God's coming. The kingdom is near. If you want to see him, you have to get ready. In my former life, before I came to Houghton many years ago, I I coached basketball for a little college out in the Midwest. I used to tell my players, you play like you practice. If If you don't prepare yourself for the big moment, it will just pass you by. Getting all sentimental and and fuzzy one month of the year uh, isn't going to get you where you want to go if you're serious about a true celebration of Christmas. It's all about getting your mind right. I can't tell you specifically what you need to do to get ready for Christmas, but there's a voice that can. You need to find some time in this busy season filled with so many distractions to listen carefully to that voice. And then you will be ready to sing, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this Christmas morning, this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, there are so many voices 
in the culture clamoring for our attention in these busy and distracting days. I pray that through the auspices of your Holy Spirit, that you will enable us to hear your voice, who calls us to get ready so that we can properly greet you on that happy morning. We pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.